Well, we're closing out Pride Month with one final show about an LGBTQ issue. Today, we'll be looking at side A and side B Christianity. What is it? And is it really that helpful? We'll talk about that and more all on Indie Thinker. Don't forget that today's show is sponsored by our friends over at Element Home Loans and the Kevin Blair team. If you are looking to refinance a home or if you're looking to purchase a new home, go over to kevinblairteam.com today and let them know that Indie Thinker sent you. Hey guys, thanks so much for liking, sharing, and subscribing. Don't forget we've got a live show coming up on July 14th, just a short couple of weeks away. If you're living in the Chattanooga area, I highly encourage you to come check out this totally free and interesting show. Here's a quick promo of who our guest is going to be and what you can expect from our live show on July 14th. Chris Buckley, former U.S. Army Sergeant, recovering drug addict, former KKK, Imperial Nighthawk. I'm helping on extremism cases from KKK to Islamism, eco-terrorism, Antifa, and others. Extremism is not a political problem. This is not simply a Republican or a Democrat problem. This is a human problem. I'm here to tell you that bad things happen, but it's up to us to choose what we do with our wounds. Guys, I cannot wait to have a conversation with Chris Buckley. Not only are we going to talk about how he went into the KKK, got uh, got radicalized, and then we'll talk about how he come came out of the KKK, but we'll also talk about extremism, kind of generally speaking. But then we'll also look at how extremism is a convenient political tool and how it's being used today, uh, specifically by one side of the aisle, but, but how it can be used as a political tool and political tools, regardless of what side of the aisle they come on, how we can defend against those things. So I, I believe it's going to be a redemptive conversation and a useful conversation, so you will definitely want to be there. Make sure that you're following us on social media and make sure that you go to the link below in this video where you can, or in this podcast, forgive me, where you can sign up to be a part of this great event. Now, you wanna do that because you're gonna get some notifications and some reminders, some details about parking and all of that if you sign up for the event. So make sure to do that right now. Now, today we're gonna to be taking a look at a podcast that I absolutely love. Now, this is unbelievable, or premier unbelievable, I think, on YouTube. Uh, and this podcast really is great because it has the big conversation. It has conversations between Christians and skeptics very often, but it has conversations about some pretty crucial and important topics. Uh, the host of the show, is a Christian and he'll typically bring on a Christian and a non-Christian. But even if he does Christians, they typically have like degrees of disagreement on things. And, and really, it's just a really great kind of, I think, exercise and parsing idea. So even if you're not a Christian, I think you'll enjoy the show. You should go over and subscribe. I'm not paid for this, although I should be. You're welcome, Martin. Uh, but it is a great podcast and I don't mind recommending it. Um, but 
we're gonna look at an episode right now that deals with side A and side B Christianity specifically. And I'll get into what that is in just a moment, but I wanna let you know that one of the guys that is kind of on the side A Christian side is a guy named Brandon Roberts. Now, you'll remember me in the past talking about Brandon Roberts, but Brandon Roberts is a pastor in California of a supposedly Christian church, but he is a homosexual and a homosexual affirming pastor. And you can hear him saying all sorts of very interesting things like this. Being queer is holy, our love is holy too. Christians who say otherwise don't know the Bible, woo! Homosexuality is not a sin, being LGBT is not a sin. You start seeing Jesus tear down patriarchy. Jesus himself would have been considered feminine, and I know that's going to come as a uh, shock to so many people. And so now you don't have any fear of going to hell? I don't believe in hell anymore. <laughs> oh, you don't believe in hell? No. Do you believe in heaven? Uh, ish. For those who are in an open or polyamorous relationship here this morning, who might be squirming a little bit because this is an uncomfortable question to hear in church sometimes, I want you to hear me loud and clear as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your relationships are holy. They're beautiful, and they are welcomed and celebrated in this space. Her boldness and bravery to speak truth to power actually changes Jesus' mind. Jesus repents of his racism and extends healing to this woman's daughter. I love this story because it's a reminder that Jesus is human. He had prejudices and bias, and when confronted with it, he was willing to do his work. So based upon these comments and so many more that you'll even see today that we get into, Brandon Roberts essentially cosplays Christianity. So he, he puts on uh, the collar, as it were. He, he grabs a hold of a Bible and then proceeds to totally distort and pervert Christianity for what it actually is. Now, I think that there's so many things that, that could be said about that, but specifically when it comes to this issue, we'll see why it's such a big problem. So let's talk about the issue before we jump into me responding to this podcast and uh, what's talked about here. So what we have is a side A Christian and a side B Christian. Side A, again, is Brandon Roberts, and side A Christianity is the welcoming, affirming, and celebrating side of Christianity, quote-unquote Christianity, if you're listening and you can't see my little bunny ears. Um, so it's the side of Christianity that that believes that you can be a practicing homosexual and be in keeping with biblical scripture. Side B Christianity, on the other hand, is the acknowledgement uh, and the existence of uh, Christians who are gay and have same-sex attraction, but rather choose not to participate in that because they they see it as a sin. So really the, the difference maker between these two, and this is a little crude, but the difference maker between side A and side B is that side A believes that homosexuality is not a sin, side B believes that it is a sin, okay? And so these two gentlemen talk with each other. So I want you guys to hear some of their responses, and then I'm gonna give a more broad response after I comment on some of these things that I think are really, really important to stop and, and think about. So again, we'll, we'll stop, make little stops along the way, and then at the end, we'll make a more kind of general broad stop about the whole conversation um, as a whole, and then make, I think, an important uh, offering about this conversation. So let's jump into our very first clip with, with Brandon Robertson and our other friend here as they're discussing uh, side A and side B Christianity. I think David's journey is David's journey, and it's authentic, and it's true. And I wouldn't um, dispute anything that he said. I think I probably interpret some of his experiences differently. Um, and 
yeah, I don't think it's anybody's place, however, to question another person's journey in general, but especially another person's relationship to Christ. Now, this is what I hear very often, that it is judgmental or that it is not our place to uh, look at another person's journey and to comment on that journey. In order to be moral, you have to make judgments. That doesn't mean that you have to say, you're going to hell or you're going to heaven. It just means that you can say, according to scripture, that's a sinful practice. And that's a practice that is not going to be the most meaningful and most pleasurable way in which to channel your desires. A shoe, get away from the accusation of judgmentalism wherever it comes and do the best that you can to not fall for the extortion of those who wish to say you're being judgmental. I had this happen the other day, by the way, when I had said something about Buzz Lightyear, which I didn't even make mention of the of the gay kiss in the movie. I just said that parents have the right to make a decision about this and it's good that parents are making a decision to make sure that this movie tanks and doesn't get the money that it uh, that it's spent in making the, the film. And somebody said, this is disgusting, you people who are supposedly righteous and Christians and you're judging other people. And I was just like, dude, do you understand that the, the comment that you just posted calling a bunch of people disgusting that you've never met in your life actually sounds more judgmental than anything else that was in that post. But even if it was judgmental, uh, you're being judgmental too. So, I mean, come on. So the point is, is this, is don't fall for the extortion of judgmentalism. Don't fall for the extortion of somebody getting their feelings hurt because you tell them the truth. That's actually a real act of benevolence. Again, we'll get to more of that in a moment, but let's keep watching. My experience is his story is thousands and thousands of people's story. Um, mm. In my church, I pastored so many unbelievable amount of people who have lived their lives in heterosexual relationships, knowing that they were gay, but because of religion or culture, believed that there was only one option for them. And now they're entering into this era where our society is finally allowing it to be acceptable to be LGBT um, and be celebrated. And they have a lot of grief, both within their marriage and when they leave their marriage. And I would imagine um, it's a hard decision to decide whether you're going to divorce after living for however many years together with your spouse and kids. Um, but it is also really important for so many people. Sexuality is not just about sex and it's not just mm. um, this tiny little part of an identity. It's a significant part of somebody. And so I imagine the opportunity for Philip to be able to step out and feel like he can be his full self for the first time. And I'm sure he's worked this out with his wife. For I do have to stop there real quick and just say, what happened to the Bible's teaching on divorce? I mean, Brandon just got done telling us that we're supposed to, uh, you know, read scripture faithfully. And sometimes that's really hard to do. And so we need skill and effort to do that. But, but then he just got done talking about a person who has same-sex attraction being married to somebody else. And all of a sudden you could just leave that person and divorce them. And that's okay with scripture. So you see the kind of the mental gymnastics you have to do to kind of justify side A Christianity. Now they're entering into this era where our society is finally allowing it to be acceptable to be LGBT um, and be celebrated. Do you get that? Celebrated. So it's one thing to be able to come out. It's totally a different thing to be celebrated. Now, I'm going to make a slippery slope argument here, and they may be a little bit overwrought, but I think this is something worth, worth taking note of. It's because we've been told for many generations in the past, especially in the Christian church, that what we were supposed to do is that we were supposed to welcome. And then when we said, well, of course, yes, the church is to welcome all people from all places come into the church. 
You want to look like Cruella DeVille when you come in there dressed in drag? I'm Cruella. Come on, You're welcome to church, let's go. But, but, but then the slippery slope of this was that, no, you, you, now that you've welcomed, we want you to affirm too. Like, why do I, why should I affirm? Like, um, what place do I have to affirm what you're doing? No, let, let's go back to what the scripture says. And then when we do that, they say, of course, well, uh, uh, open for interpretation, or no, there's too much going on there. You're, you're not understanding the text correctly. Or who do you, you don't have the right to judge anybody. No, no, we're just simply trying to be as faithful to scripture as we possibly can. And so when we don't affirm, we're, we're violating their personhood, right? And so we're extorted into saying, you not only are supposed to welcome, but you're supposed to affirm. But then that's not enough, right? Now you're supposed to celebrate it too. Now, if you don't have a pride flag up at your church right next to the cross, well, then you're not celebrating my personhood. You're, you're not allowing me to exist. You're denying my existence, which of course is not true. We, we know you exist. What we think, though, is that there is not only a better way, but that you might have convinced yourself into a false way of, of living. Um, and we want to help you with that. Um, and, and I'll get into that more, uh, a little bit more. But I just think there was, I don't even think it's a Freudian slip at this point in time. Brandon fully, side A Christianity eventually leads you to that paradigm of you're going to have to welcome, affirm, and celebrate. You have to do all those three things because that's the only Christian thing to do, rather than to actually faithfully articulate scripture, which again, I go back to, which is um, what Brandon said we're supposed to do. But um, in doing so, he, he's gonna end up fighting with his own position. Um, heterosexual people don't need to announce what gender they're in love with, so why do gay people? Now, there is a historical reason that coming out is so important. Um, it is a political and social act. It is important to be able to step forward and celebrate something that you felt like you've had to hide. But I think what most LGBT people are looking for and yearning for in the future is just to be our full selves without having to have the cultural and societal and religious pressure pushing on us, making us afraid and feeling like we need to suppress ourselves. It's that oppression and that mm -hmm. um, pressure to suppress that makes coming out necessary. And I do hope and pray that we get to a day where that's no longer necessary. No, I thought this part of the conversation was really fascinating about coming out because there seems to be this kind of implicit, if not explicit, acknowledgement that homosexuality is a very different kind of sexual, um, uh, sexual orientation. So heterosexuals feel zero need to come out publicly and tell people, hey, you know what? I'm a man, I like women, right? Now, people could say that that could just be simply be because it's so normative, so you don't need to do that. But the whole idea of this theatrical display of coming out, it makes one wonder, where does that come from? Is it, is it a phenomena that is more about existential crisis than anything? I could explain that more, but I'll just say this. Is it really that people are desiring acceptance for something that maybe even deep down they, they may feel that it shouldn't be something maybe subconsciously that it shouldn't be accepted but or that they're so unconfident about what they're saying for whatever the reason may be that they need others to help them along the way Later, i want you to watch this and i want you to burn this into your brains i rather think that the most bold and courageous and adult thing that you can do is not need another person to affirm you 
in, in, in your pursuit. So yet again, this shows kind of the problem with side A Christianity. But let's get to side B Christianity for just a moment because I also wanna give you a, a good understanding of what side B Christianity is really all about. A really tough rub in this is that scripture, Paul, Jesus, you know, the, the voices that we come to as Christians to wrestle with a question of desire, they're very intense about what sexual immorality is, porneia, whatever that, you know, we, we're going to get into that yeah. probably, mm. what that might mean. And Paul even says that that dwells in your body. It's like somehow like put apart to actually affect somehow your resurrection. I mean, mm. this is serious you know, stuff, but yet Paul also says there's male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free for all are one in Christ Jesus. And I think that does include gay nor straight. I think that does mean, you know, salvation is a free gift that you can't earn. And so that, that sit, I think you have to sit in the tension of thinking about that theologically mm. and whoever makes, never makes theological errors. I mean, we all do. <laughs> to say we all arrived at theological perfection is just hubristic. It's mm. prideful. So I think there's an element where you need to be humble, but also have a conviction about how that all fits together. Okay, what I like about our side B Christian friend here, who is a person with same-sex attraction, his name is David Bennett, is that he is willing to acknowledge the tension rather than to just quickly dismiss it, which is exactly what Brandon does by just saying, hey, don't critique anybody else's journey. All of us are, you know, we're walking toward the same thing hypothetically, and we're all trying to do the same thing. So don't critique anybody else where they may be on their road of sanctification, blah, 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 blah. What David does is a really good move here is he says, well, we're not necessarily critiquing an individual's progress, but what we are trying to do is acknowledge a tension and it's a tension that exists with the truth of scripture and our acknowledgement of it. Now, there's another tension that he kind of vaguely alludes to there, which is really the reason I wanted to stop. And the, the tension that he alludes to there is this idea of where we fall in our theological perspectives. Okay, so uh, not everybody has um, perfect theology. Therefore, perfect theology can't be the standard of Christian truth. Okay, so that's, that's eerily close to saying this, that orthodoxy is not a prerequisite for Christianity, which I, I happen to think that it is, that you have to believe the things that are essential Christian doctrine to consider yourself a Christian. Go back to my Mormon videos too. Um, uh, but the idea here is, is that we need to acknowledge tensions when we see them in the Bible, not easily dismiss them and be willing to talk about them. Um, and not just acknowledge them and then make decisions about these tensions to the best of our ability. But more importantly, when we see essential doctrines, we must demand that we have unity on those. On things that are non-essential doctrines, let's say full submersion baptism. <laughs> well, there we can have disagreement. Now, for those of you who aren't Christians, you're just like, what are you guys even talking about? But, but I think this is an important lesson for all of us, is that there are certain non-essential uh, things that we must be open to, open to discussing, open with others, and, and have an open mind about those things. But there are, sense, there are other essential truths that we must affirm and that we do so, and, we, and if we don't do that, we do so at our own peril. So here is where we have the intersection of homosexuality, is that the Bible is really clear about what that kind of lifestyle uh, is and is classified as, as far as scripture is concerned. Now, I don't wanna keep on beating a dead horse here, but because the Bible is very clear, then therefore we have to make a Christian assessment of what we see in Scripture and not try to quickly dismiss it. So 
when we have essentials calling us to, uh, that are very clear in the Bible, those things are not open for interpretation other than the interpretation that leads us to the reality of what's being said. Whereas other things may be open to interpretation because there's different ways of viewing those things. So we have to be really careful to make sure that we understand where those things lie. And homosexuality is certainly one that falls on the other side of that thing in terms of it's something that is very clear uh, and uh, scripturally speaking that you, there's no real room for a vast array of interpretation here. The Bible's pretty clear, all right? All right, so we'll keep on going into the conversation a little bit more. The thing that's interesting across the broad board everywhere is this kind of obsession with marriage and sex as being the kind of end point of the mm. Christian life. I mean, yeah. we should be having these joyful celibate people that are looking forward to a, a future where there will no longer be sex. Marriage will be finished and we'll be enjoying this ecstatic, beautiful, wonderful relationship between all people and Christ and God, you know, and there'll be this mm. moment of union, letting that interpret our desires and how we live them out instead of, I need this to be whole. And no, I love so much of that with, with side B. Again, I'm, I'm going to sound kind of vacillating, waffling with side B because side B is kind of a, a fence sitting position, but I love, so let's get to the point I love, uh, the points I love about that. So the point I love about that is that there is this kind of fixation, fixation with marriage. There's this kind of fixation, I think what he's actually saying is this fixation with my desire, regardless of if it's same sex or um, homosexual desire, my desire is the thing that matters, which is clearly not a biblical worldview and a clearly not a worldview that takes into account heaven, right? What heaven is going to be like and what heaven is all about. It's, going, it's not going to be the fulfillment of our personal individual desire. It's going to be the fulfillment of the desire of every human heart that was created to long for God. So there is a little bit of, certainly with side A, where this overwroughtness of my sexual preference is liberating and so my desires, once I fully fulfill those, those is, that's what makes my identity, is my, my sexual desire is a part of my identity. Um, and your, your personal identity is so much bigger than, than that. Um, but yet I also have to say, kind of moving to the other side of this, uh, of this thing, is that marriage should be celebrated. And, and the celebration of celib celibacy is great too. But a celibacy is a retreat position. And what I mean by that is this, is that I'm retreating to celibacy because same-sex desire is who I am. I've made my sexual desire a part of who I am, and there's not much I can do about that except to just say I'm not going to practice it because I believe it to be sinful, so I'm going to retreat position into celibacy rather than, than the, the most joyful way that you could make a decision for celibacy, which is to say I'm committing this over to God because I'm, I'm fully His, and, and because I believe that this desire, although may be good, I'm still going to get away from it. See, that's a different thing than saying, I know this is sinful, so I'm not going to do it. And, and I can't do anything other than celibacy because I know this is not good. So it's, it's a retreat position. And again, this is one of the reasons I have a, a little bit of, a, of an issue with it, um, with side B, that is, because, because I don't believe that we have to take retreat positions just so that we can... Um, so that we can acknowledge the existence of same-sex desire within the Christian framework. I, once again, I believe there is another side to this whole conversation that seems to be wholly missing uh, from this that deserves to be talked about. Okay, just a little bit more. I've been taught, especially in evangelical contexts, that scripture is easy to understand and that you can just take it at face value. 
and I'm actually starting to kind of agree with the Catholic Church during the Reformation a little bit, because I do think the Protestant <laughs> impulse to give people Bibles and just say, read it, and you can take it at face value, has caused so much harm throughout history, we know that. The Bible is an ancient text, it is the Word of God, but it has culture and context, and if you're just taking it at its face value, you're gonna miss what the scriptures are actually talking about. And so I see a trajectory from Genesis to Revelation towards how what, what I would call the deconstruction of patriarchy. Deconstruction of patriarchy, huh? A couple of things here about that clip. Uh, first of all, is this is a, another tactic. We talked about kind of the tactic of you're not benevolent if you notice this, uh, so don't notice it. But then also this is the, the, the tactic of overcomplicating something that's very simple and that can be interpreted at face value. Now, granted, there's a lot of things in the Bible that are not like that. And it does take interpretation. It does take historical context. It does take a deep study. And there is a tendency for the fundamentalist to look at everything as literal in the Bible when it's not literal. But there's also the tendency for those on the left to just say, and the, and the progressive Christian to say, these things that are clearly literal, well, we're not going to make them literal because we want to tiptoe around the actual issue. And so we're just going to deny the fact that it's literal when it's clearly literal. So uh, suffice to say, um, Mark Twain said this, things should be just as simple as they need to be and no more. So yeah, you can overcomplicate things, or sorry, you can oversimplify things, but you can also overcomplicate things. And this happens very often um, in the LGBTQ community, they wish to muddy the waters in conversations so that you don't actually know what you're even talking about anymore. In fact, a perfect example of this is the distinction between biological sex and gender. It's totally invented and it's totally created. It, it was created by people like John Money to try to obscure conversations and create categories of things that don't actually exist. And so the point is, is that all of that is an attempt to obscure fact rather than get to reality. And, and, and again, we see this too with what Brandon Robertson just said about, well, I view the Old Testament as a pursuit of destruction of patriarchy. Well, like who gave you the right to interpret it that way? You just got done saying that we need to be really clear on, on, on knowing what we're interpreting and what we're seeing in terms of a historical context. So what we're seeing here, just, I, I'm, I'm not saying any of these things to to point to Brandon Robertson and wag my finger. I'm doing this for the sake of everybody who listens to people like him. So what he's doing right here is he is applying a lens, an interpretive structure to the scripture that he brought with him and then he just throws it on every text he sees. You'll hear later in the conversation that he tweeted something about orthodoxy just being some white male patriarchal structure to try to oppress people. So like Christian orthodoxy is just some white neo-colonial construction that's there to oppress people rather than a faithful interpretation of scripture. I mean, this, this guy is essentially just trying to avoid the truth at all costs and you have to ask yourself, why? And, and, and here's really what we're getting to at the end of the day is, is that he has a, a bias and that bias is going to run through all of the things that he says because there is a group of people who want to really truly get at authentic interpretation and then there are a group of people who want to use the scripture for their own purposes. And, and, and this is why I think the side A and B Christian conversation is missing an aspect. I wanna show one more thing that will kind of illustrate what I'm talking about. I, I would echo uh, nearly everything David said 
and just say that, again, if the church could hear two things from me, it's one, gay Christians on the side A are still seeking to follow Christ earnestly. And therefore, if we take the scripture to be serious when it says, no one can say Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Spirit, and um, all of these um, scriptures that talk about anyone who's focusing on following Christ should be considered a follower of Christ. We see that in Paul's writings over again, over and over again. I would love for the church to be able to move towards a more open stance there. All right, so it's the contention of Brandon here that side A Christians are attempting to follow Christ just as much as evangelical Christians. Is that true though? I mean, Brandon just got done telling us that the whole journey of the Old Testament is not to reveal God to people or to reveal the nation of God and, the, and God through that nation and Israel specifically, but it's to uh, destroy patriarchy? Doesn't Brandon prove with everything that he says about Christian theology that he's hijacking Christian theology and doesn't actually care about faithful interpretation? Even if I'm wrong about that, orthodoxy is never going to be judged by intention. That's why it's called orthodoxy. It's judged by the faithful interpretation of scripture. So much of what I want to say here kind of just encapsulates everything we see in this podcast from side A predominantly, but also from side B. Underneath the progressivism of people like Brandon Roberts is not tolerance, it's contradictory thinking. They say that they're tolerant of all views, which they aren't, and by the way, they shouldn't be. I, I refuse to be tolerant of white supremacy, and so should Brandon. I refuse to be tolerant of militant atheism that uh, should see fit that the death of all Christians is, happens to in, enforce their agenda. They shouldn't be tolerant of pedophilia as a legitimate sexual preference. Um, by the way, Brandon would agree to all of that, and any good person would. That's the point. So he, he and I and everyone else that has varying viewpoints are not intolerant. And Christianity is no different in this way. We fully reject and dismiss all violations of essential doctrine which are clearly represented in Scripture. That's what this comes down to. Among them, which is the obvious metaphorical or literal Garden of Eden where the ideal couple, a man and a woman, are introduced to the world. And pushing everything else aside, let's say orthodoxy didn't exist. Let's say liberal progressivism wasn't such a prominent force in the modern day church. Let's assume that for a moment. The beauty, the beauty of scripture is that it has the right to contradict us regardless of what we believe or regardless of what we want to be true. And we have the obligation to respond to it that way. That means we have the responsibility not to care about our personal particular viewpoints, our sexual orientation or our gender identity or our preferences. The truth stares us in the face every time we read the Bible and we have to assert that and affirm that. The reason I can speak so confidently about this is that if you have a desire for the truth and are willing to be contradicted, you will clearly see what the Bible says about this issue and you'll have to face it every time you read it. And there's no way you'll be able to come away from God's word acknowledging anything other than what God's divine order is for heterosexual relationships. That, that men and women together is the best way for human flourishing to take place. And any attempt to subvert God's divine order is nothing more than an idolatrous attempt to try to have your way with God's word. So it is for this reason 
that I think we need to have an honest conversation about side A and side B Christianity. Side A Christianity is clearly unbiblical. Hopefully I've illustrated that throughout what I've talked about today. Side B Christianity fails in this regard, that it doesn't help side A Christians come to the realization of scriptural truths as it should. And perhaps people in its own camp, it doesn't help them fully move away from the idea that celibacy is your only option. To me, side B Christianity is a very defeated position. It retreats into side A with a caveat, essentially, is, is the problem with side B Christianity. Praise God for brothers who, who have enough, and, and sisters too, who have enough strength to resist those same-sex urges and who are remaining celibate and who choose to follow Christ in this path. Praise God for them. But I also wanna urge them closer towards a, a more biblical perspective, which is that you don't have to choose celibacy in order to achieve a sense of normalcy in your Christianity. You can be delivered. Now, I know, deliverance, you think banjos, but, but it, it, it's a nice biblical word, and it just simply means this that you can be set free, you can find hope, you can change. You don't have to have those same-sex urges. God can replace them with new urges. And I just wonder if side B Christianity doesn't do a good enough job of really trying to assert that point. And so I'll end by just saying this. Demolishing fragile worldviews built upon lies is an act of unparalleled compassion in this generation. I simply say this because there's more social cost to doing that kind of thing than ever before because you get a little bit of flack from side A to be sure and you get flack from side B for not being compassionate enough about the struggle and the plight and all of this stuff. And I just want to say this, it is not unloving to tell the truth. It is not. It is not loving to be politically correct. It is not loving to try to polish cowardice into thoughtfulness. What we desperately need more than ever before is certainly people who can do it compassionately, but people who recognize the benevolence and the loving nature of helping people who have built their lives on a lie and helping people get away from that. The more we can tell the truth, the better people's lives will be. So don't we ensure the greatest element of of, of, of success and enjoyment in life if we tell people the full, honest truth and make sure that that is easily accessible to people. So that's all I'm saying at the end of the day, whether you be side A, side B, or whatever side you wanna call yourself, is that the truth still matters at the end of the day. And I hope that you will understand that even though big change happens with small tremors sometimes, big earthquakes happen with small tremors, um, that you'll still wade into these waters, have conversations with others, make sure that you yourself know personally what you believe about these things, and also reflect upon other people's ideas so that you can, so that you can help develop a robust and thoughtful and truthful worldview for yourself. In doing so, you'll be truly compassionate by sharing that with others. All right, guys, thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and comment below if this video was helpful. We'll catch you next time. You can catch brand new episodes of Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman every Monday and weekly bonus episodes to keep you thinking throughout the week. But you have to subscribe and click the bell to be notified when new episodes drop. If you enjoy this content, make sure to like this video and share it with friends.